Good morning. You know, we're on this series on happiness, and lots of people think that happiness is really just kind of a matter of luck. <laughs> if you're happy, you just kind of got lucky in life. It's kind of like you pulled the slot machine and good things happened and coins came out, so you got lucky, so you're kind of happy. Because things happen to go your way, you're happy. But you know, that's just not true. Actually, happiness is the result of you and me choosing to do some right things. Some right things. In fact, learning to do the right things over and over results in happiness. So this morning, I want to talk with you about some things that you and I can learn to do that will result in greater happiness in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19, Paul is still in prison. He's writing to the church that he started in Philippi. Now, the people from this church, out of a heart for Pastor Paul, had just sent him a care package to prison. He uh, needed food. He needed finances, people to encourage him. And so beginning in verse 9, Paul begins to express his thanks back to this church that he's no longer with. And it's in the next 11 verses that we find four things that we can do that will result in great happiness. Let's read. Hang on. 11 verses. Here we go. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you and soon so that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, like Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, when you first read those scriptures, those 11 verses, you wonder why in the world did God include those scriptures in the Bible? Because it's just about two guys that went to take a gift to Pastor Paul and encourage Paul in prison. But when you really look closer at what these two guys did, you find the four things that can lead all of us into greater happiness when we begin to practice those four things. Timothy and Epaphroditus 
had been staying in Rome to help Paul, encourage Paul, bless Paul, work alongside of Paul outside of prison because he couldn't get out of prison. So they were there with him. And now for various reasons, Paul says it's time to send them back home, back to their church in Philippi. Now, Paul had been helped by these guys. He had been blessed by these guys. These guys meant the world to Paul. But Paul didn't want to keep these guys all to himself. You see, they were godly men. And he wanted the whole church in Philippi to benefit from them and begin to look at them and model their lives after them. So what were these guys doing that Paul wanted the whole church in Philippi to to learn and to imitate? What are the four things they were doing that brought happiness into their lives, then also into Paul's life? First, write this down. To be happy, be one that's interested in others. That means shift your focus from yourself to others, and there you will find happiness. Folks, that's the starting point for happiness. You see, you begin to see and respond to needs of others, and when you do that, happiness comes into their life and into your life because all of a sudden, your life takes on meaning. It's not all about you. It's not about all the stuff that you can accumulate. You begin to see the needs of others and and help others, and your life takes on meaning. You begin to help others, and you help them climb over the humps of life. You help them survive the bumps of life. And when you see them begin to soar (laughs) and take off, Because of your help and your interest in their life, your life gets happy and theirs gets happy. Amen? It makes a difference when you see people take off because of your touch. Paul says about Timothy, he was a guy like that. In fact, Paul says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Everybody looks out for his own interests. Folks, most people in life on this planet are all wrapped up in their own affairs. It's kind of like this. (laughs) They're all wrapped up in their own affairs, no interest in others. School runs, sports runs, scouting runs, home repair, overtime at the job. And pretty soon we're so wrapped up in our own affairs, we can't reach out to anybody else. But if you're all wrapped up in your own affairs, you can't reach out and help anybody. And Paul says about Timothy, but man, this guy, there's nobody else I've ever seen like him. He's a guy that truly cares. He takes a genuine interest in other people. He truly reaches out to others. So the first key, folks, to happiness is shifting your focus to others like Timothy. And I like the way Paul says this verse in the Message Bible. It says, don't be so obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Now, if you and I did that, if we really helped other people, do you think you'd be happier? (laughs) Absolutely. Because suddenly you see their life begin to take off, begin to soar, begin to to get healthier. Your life takes on meaning. 
God has used you. You've seen how God has used you. And it makes a difference. But most people think that just experiencing the right things is what brings happiness. If we just get the right stuff, we'll be happy. Or if we just get the right accumulation of stuff or combination of stuff, then we'll be happy. If I get the car, the house, the kids, and I'll be happy. I mean, that's what our world says. I mean, look at this. Coca-Cola says happiness comes from something you drink. Look at that, man. Pop the top and you got happiness, right? That's what our world sells us. Audi says this. Look at this. Audi says happiness comes from something you drive. If you want joy, if you want life to take on meaning, just drive an Audi. I've never driven one. Maybe that's true. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts says happiness comes from a donut. Share them. (laughs) If you share donuts, oh, man, you're going to have a happy life. Starbucks says, happiness comes from a Frappuccino at happy hour. Now, I almost believe that one. (laughs) I love those things. Man, those are good. The truth is, happiness comes when you shift your focus to other people, though, like Timothy did. So first, to be happy, be one that's interested in others. Second, write this down, then to be happy, be one that others can trust. So you've got this interest going towards others. You want to lend a helping hand as a, as a Christian. Christ is in you. He wants to use you and flow through you. And you say, okay, but then you need to be one that others can trust. When people trust you, they, they look up to you. They come to you for counsel. They want to be around you because they feel they can trust you. And so when people trust you, the result is happiness. Theirs and yours. Because you're having an impact in their lives. And that's rewarding and fulfilling and happiness producing to you. Become a trustworthy person. Paul says this, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me. And I think Paul was probably thinking day and night, day and night in the work of the gospel. Timothy proved himself to Paul to be a trustworthy servant. Paul's sitting in jail. He explains to Timothy some things he needs done, and Timothy goes out, and he just without fail does it, does it, does it. Paul can't walk with him. All Paul can do is instruct him, and Timothy does it. So Paul's saying, I've watched this guy in action. I've seen him in every kind of circumstance, and this Timothy guy, he is the real deal. He's genuine. He's dependable. He's reliable. You can count on this guy. You can trust Timothy. The question is, are you trustworthy? Are you worthy of people's trust? I mean, if you really want to be interested and and start as a, a Christ follower to get involved in people's lives and begin to help them, if they begin to come to you, can they trust you? Can they trust what you say? Can they trust you to do what you say? Are you trustworthy? Now, anytime you go to a bank to get a loan, before they'll loan you money, they're going to do a credit check. And by doing that credit check, they want to find out if they can trust you, if you have a track record of paying your bills. Because before they put their trust in you, they need to know if you can be trusted to pay back that loan. They need to know if you are credit worthy if you are worthy of their trust. But here's the hard truth. 
People around us are doing credit checks in our lives all the time. Amen? They're looking at us and they're saying, can I trust this person? Are they the real deal? Are they what they say they are? Will they do what they say? Are they the real kind of guy or gal that I can trust? Well, Paul's saying Timothy checked out as a person that could be trusted. Well, if we want to be like Timothy, how do we do that? Write this down. First of all, we've got to live with integrity. We've got to be people and we've got to be a church of integrity. That means simply make sure your actions match your words. Make sure your walk matches your talk. And this is for all of us preachers too. Make sure you live what you preach. We got to be people of integrity. Now, living with integrity doesn't mean you're 100% perfect. Living with integrity simply means that 99.9% of the time that what I say is what I will do. That what you see is really what I am. Yeah, I may blow it a tenth of a percent of the time, but basically I am what I am and what you see is what I am. The Bible says reliable friends who do what they say are like cool drinks in sweltering heat. They're refreshing. Isn't that true? Isn't that a great verse? If people can count on you, if they can trust you to always do what you say, it's refreshing. So can people count on you to not flip-flop on them? Is your yes always yes? Is your no always no? Can people count on you? Or do you constantly change your tune and flip back and forth and they never know what to expect out of you? The Bible says, putting confidence in an unreliable person is like chewing with a toothache. (laughs) Everybody go, ow. (laughs) That's, That's painful. It's like chewing with a toothache or walking on a broken foot. Doesn't make them happy if you're not reliable. The Bible goes on to say, honest people will lead a full, happy life. You want to be happy? Be a person that others can trust. First, live with integrity. And then second, kind of the same thing, keep your promises. Can others trust you to keep your word? The Bible says they always do what they promise no matter how much it may cost. That means you keep your promises even though you find out that something's going to cost you more than you ever thought. You be a person of your word. Your yes is your yes. Your no is your no. You keep your promise. So first, to be happy, be a person that's interested in others, but then be a person that others can trust, that they can come to and rely on, a person that's refreshing to them. Third, to be happy, then be one that's a team player. A team player. You know, if you want to be happy, learn to work well with others. We, we heard it growing up. Learn to play well with others. Learn to collaborate well with others. If you don't, you're not going to be happy. So learn, write this down, first of all, to just be cooperative. Learn to cooperate with other people. And I think when Paul looked at Epaphroditus, I can't even say it out loud this morning, Epaphroditus, he saw a team player. He saw a guy that was willing to cooperate. 
So Paul says, I send back to you Epaphroditus. And look at this. The guy I feel like, he's, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier in the fight of the gospel. And he's also your messenger that you sent with a gift but to take care of my needs. But he's my brother. <laughs> and so he saw in him a guy that was cooperating with him. So here's this church in Philippi that took up an offering to help Paul, and Epaphroditus took it to Paul. But then he stayed with Paul in Rome to encourage him and do the work outside of the prison that Paul couldn't do. And Paul says, this guy's truly my brother. Now, Paul is saying, this guy that you sent, he wasn't just an errand boy. He, he isn't all about doing his own thing. He didn't lift up his hand and say, I'll take this gift to Pastor Paul because I want to run around Rome and I want to see the big city. Paul say, no, he's a real worker for the Lord. He's been a real help to me. He's been a, a real soldier fighting for the things of God. He's not questioning me. He's cooperating with me in the things of the Lord. This guy knows how to work with other people. Folks, the sooner that we learn to cooperate with others, the happier we're all going to be. And all God's people said, amen. You've all worked with people that aren't cooperative, right? Man, there's no happiness around that. We need to learn to cooperate. Jesus says it this way, and I love this verse. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Our nation is all about competing, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, in the Olympics, or whatever it is. We're all about competing, but we need to learn, says Jesus how to teach people to cooperate. Next, then be considerate. The more considerate you are of others, the more happy you're going to be. Paul goes on and he talks about Epaphroditus and he says, but now I must send him back to you because he longs to see all of you and has been worried about, look at this, your distress since you heard that he was sick. So the people in this church in Philippi had heard that Epaphroditus, on his way to Rome, had gotten deathly sick. Now, there's no phones, there's no Facebook, no cell phones. They can't get a hold of the guy. So they were now afraid that their friend along the way had died. They were in distress. So the Message Bible says it this way. He wants to get back and reassure you that he's fine. You see, he was considering their distress. He was being considerate of their feelings. That's a key to happiness. The more considerate we learn to be of other people's needs and fears and feelings, the happier they will be and you will be. Paul says, you must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Now, look at this word, cultivate. Cultivate a life in common. He's saying, get rid of the unnecessary stuff, the harmful stuff, and protect the good stuff. In other words, work at being considerate with those that you're in relationship with. Work to protect your relationships. Now, growing up on a farm, one of my jobs on the farm was cultivating soybeans, much like this, to get on a tractor and, and drive through the rows of soybeans and cultivate out the weeds to keep the crops healthy to protect them i had to uproot the weeds because the weeds if they're not dealt with they'll steal all the water they'll steal all the fertilizer away from the plants 
And so to keep the plants healthy, I had to cultivate out those weeds, those issues that were arising. Paul is saying team players learn to be, learn to be considerate of each other. And in fact, they work at keeping their relationships healthy. They work at being cooperative with each other and considerate of each other. So if some issue grows up and tries to harm the relationship, they go to work and they cultivate out the bad stuff. They uproot the weeds. They cultivate the relationships. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, and I love this. He said, I don't just do what I like or what is best for me, but what is best for everyone so that they may be saved. Boy, isn't that being interested in others first? (laughs) Now, let's take that a step further. Isn't that like Jesus who did something that wasn't the best for him so that we might be saved? How God came on and took on human flesh and did a horrible thing, dying on a cross. Wasn't best for him, but he did it so others might be saved. He was interested in us. Now, here we are as Christians, and we are filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, who says, I want you to not only think about what's always best for you and your own affairs, but I want you to think about what's best for other people, that they might truly come to know me and be saved. And all of God's people said, amen. That's what the Christian life is about. To be happy, be one that's interested in others, be one that others can then trust, then be one that's a team player. But then here's the last thing. Fourth, be one that's devoted. To be happy, you gotta be devoted. Now listen close on this one. Until you learn to devote yourself to others and to worthy causes, you will not find happiness. Most people today give first-class allegiance to second-class causes. And those causes leave them unhappy. I've said this before, and one man wrote, one man said, I climbed the ladder of success, but when I got to the top, I found the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. (laughs) Too often we give a big-time commitment to a small-time cause. And that small-time cause does not make any difference in a person's life for eternity. So the question is, are you giving most all of your time and energy and thoughts and resources to the things that will not matter five years from today? Or are you giving your first-class allegiance to things that will make a difference for eternity? Paul says about Epaphroditus, indeed, he was very ill, and he almost died. He risked his life for the work of Christ, And he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things that you couldn't do because you were so far away. So here's the background real quick. Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. The church at Philippi that he started and loved so much is 800 miles away. The church decides to send a care package to Paul in prison. No cars, no planes, no trains. It's an 800-mile walking trip. Epaphroditus, a member of the church, raises his hand and says, I'll do it. I'll walk the 800 miles. I'll take our church gift to Pastor Paul. 
And the Bible says he risked his very life to do this. But then along the way, he got so sick, he nearly died. But in spite of his sickness, what did he do? He finished what he started. He was devoted to his cause. He was devoted to the things of Christ, the cause of Christ. So here comes some questions. What commitment have you made that maybe you need to keep? A commitment that you have made to God or to a spouse or to a child. Will you be like Epaphroditus who completed what he committed? Folks, we get so wishy-washy on our Christian commitment at times. Amen? We don't stay devoted to Jesus day by day and moment by moment. So what commitment do you need to go back and revisit and say, I'm going to keep this commitment? Second, is your commitment to Jesus strong enough to cause you to risk your life? Both Timothy and Epaphroditus risked their lives for God and for Pastor Paul. Now, if this church, let's just think about us for a minute. If this church, if we at Canyon Hills... As a church family, we said, hey, who's going to be willing to walk the 800 miles to Juarez and take our church gift to Pastor Sergio? Would you raise your hand? I'll walk it, Larry. That's what Epaphroditus did. Would you raise your hand? Yes, I will take our gift. I will cross the border. I will take that risk. I will hand it to Pastor Sergio. Would your hand go up and say, I'm in. I'm that devoted to the cause of Christ. You see, most people say, I'll follow Jesus as long as it's safe, as long as it's convenient. I'll go to another country to promote Jesus as long as it's safe and convenient. I'll go on a mission to promote Jesus as long as it's safe and convenient. But not Timothy, not Epaphroditus. They risked their lives to serve God and their friend and pastor Paul. Write this statement down. It's a key statement. It's not on your outline, but write it down somewhere. Happiness comes from putting service before security. Being devoted to the serving of Christ before security. You know, the truth is this. God blesses those who serve him even when it's unsafe and inconvenient. I've got to tell you this morning, some of my greatest blessings and greatest times of happiness came from the times that Pastor Carlos and I continued to go to Juarez to promote Jesus and to strengthen our new baby church there during their most violent times. For a few years, as many of you know, everybody else stopped going. But when everybody else stopped going, we kept going. We prayed and God said to our hearts again and again, go. So just Pastor Carlos and I and a couple of others, we kept going. And you need to know we're not that brave, especially Pastor Carlos. He's not that. <laughs> He's in the Philippines today, so I can, I can bag on him. But we both heard God's go, and so we went. Now, not only were we personally blessed by God for doing so, not only did our happiness increase as we risked our lives for Jesus, but the happiness and the number of people in our church in Juarez increased. In fact, you need to know that during that violent period of time, 
When it was unsafe and inconvenient to go, their church was encouraged, and during that time, more than doubled. And all of God's people said, amen. It was like they were in prison like Paul, not with steel bars, but they were in prison by the violence. They couldn't go out of their homes. They could barely go to their church. They were in prison, and each time we went to visit them and encourage them and work alongside of them, they were so encouraged that they became even more effective. Today, they average over 300 each Sunday. Folks, happiness comes from putting service before security. And I want to say this statement, and I mean it with all my heart. If I got to die to leave this place, if I've got to die to leave this planet, I would rather die serving Jesus than playing it safe and not adding another soul to the kingdom. I would rather die serving Jesus than playing it safe and not adding anyone to his family. Jesus said it this way, only those who give their lives away for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Folks, only those of us who give away our lives who put service before security will ever really know and understand that abundant life that Jesus came to offer. We'll ever really know the extreme happiness that he says we can live with deep down in our soul. It's when we give our lives. It's when we devote our lives that happiness comes. Folks, if you want to be happy, be one that's interested in others. And then when you begin to lend that helping hand, make sure that you're somebody that those others can really trust. Trust what you say, trust what you do. Be one that's a team player. Be willing to cooperate and be considerate of others. But then be devoted. Whatever you commit, do it. Whatever you start for Jesus Christ, finish it. And that's where you'll find happiness. All of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it? Father, Help me to follow the model of these two guys. Help me apply these four things to my life. Lord, I do want greater happiness. But beyond happiness, I want to live in a way that draws others into your family. Help me rise to this challenge today. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.